0: Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 4 of the Quadcast. I'm John McAlevey. Thank you for choosing the podcast, which, although mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Boy, do I have a good man to introduce you to today, but more on him a bit later. Did you have a chance to listen to my conversation with the great Kelsey Peterson last week? She of the Move Me documentary. I must say that of all the episodes I've recorded, I have gotten more feedback regarding our chat than I have pretty much any of my other 49 installments. Kelsey is a smart, deep thinker who bears her soul in her raw and candid autobiographical film. If you have not seen Move Me, I urge you to do so. And before that, please listen to our discussion. As you have heard me complain in the past, getting guests is not always easy for me. First of all, I'm a veritable nobody, and I have a tiny social media imprint. So when friends and former guests make suggestions, it is so appreciated. Today, I give a tip of the cap to Hannah and Jared Nieder for recommending Mark Fugelvan. Mark's story is not uncommon to many of the guests that I have featured in the past. He suffered a traumatic injury at the age of 18, but has not let that define who he is or how he lives. Married today with two young boys, Mark is thriving personally and professionally. He is a big, bright, shining example of the phrase, necessity is the mother of all invention. That is because he founded the company Abilities Adaptive whose mission statement is, quote, We design adaptive tools to improve the quality of life for people of all abilities, end quote. Their adaptive solutions aim to not only solve a problem, but be affordable and appealing in design. Let's just say the products he designs truly help Mark make his mark on the disabled community. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Following this brief public service announcement from the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, Mark Fugelvand is here to tell us all about that and much more. And that, my friends, is next. Did you know that one in every 50 Americans is living with some form of paralysis? The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation wants to change that. They are dedicated to discovering cures for spinal cord injury, by funding innovative research and improving the quality of life and health for all people living with paralysis. Make a difference, change a life, and redefine what it means to live with paralysis by joining the Reeve Foundation today. For more information, visit ChristopherReeve.org. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Today's care, tomorrow's cure. And we are back on the podcast that aims to be your weekly 30 to 45-minute session of OT and PT for the Soul. At this time, it is my pleasure to welcome in today's guest, Mark Fugelvand. Hello, Mark, and thank you for joining me today.
1: Hey, John. How are you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to to be on the show.
0: Excellent. And as I said in my opening, which you will hear once the show is complete, completed and edited and turned around, finding guests to appear on uh, on these is sometimes hard for me to do it on my own. So when previous guests make suggestions, they are allowed, even encouraged. And you, my friend come highly recommended from Jared and Hannah Nieder.
1: Oh, thank you. No, that's awesome. They're pretty special people.
0: They certainly are. And they, they certainly don't let any grass grow under their feet. They're showing a lot of us folks who have had spinal cord injuries that there is still so much out there that we can all do if we just put our mind to it.
1: No, definitely. Yeah, yeah, they're they're awesome. They're they're just changing the way people look at that SCI and just trailblazing really. So it's it's exciting to see what they're doing.
0: No doubt, no doubt. And Mark, usually what I like to do with my shows is begin at the beginning. So why don't you tell us sure. where did you grow up and what were some things that you liked doing as a young person?
1: Okay. Yeah. So I I was born in Spokane, Washington. And I lived there until about I was about five. My parents got divorced, and my mom was from Southern California, Los Angeles area. So I moved back to LA when I was five with her and my sister, who was eight years old at the time. And so I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and uh, pretty much just grew up, you know, liking what a lot of a lot of uh, young boys like my age, which is skateboarding and riding bikes and and sports. Uh, I, I was big on sports. I went to a all boys Catholic high school that was pretty much four sports. So I played, um, you know, football, baseball, all those things. But around the time that I became a teenager, hockey became to be a really big thing over here in Southern California with uh, Wayne Gretzky coming to the to the Los Angeles Kings.
0: Oh right, so, sure.
1: Yeah, so around that time, ice rinks started popping up and rollerblading was really popular in junior high. So I I really took to that and I loved it. So ice hockey became my thing and I played it all the way through high school, junior high and high school. And I I was set on, I I really wanted to go play in college. I mean, I wasn't, wasn't like D1 material, but I was looking at D2, D3 schools and legitimately wanted to go and, you know, go into the cold and and play hockey and go to college. So that was my You wanted to come up north, huh? Yeah. Or come yeah, up was, East,
0: come over there. Yeah, th-
1: East and North. I mean, I wasn't a, we, we hopped over the border a couple of times to like British Columbia and did some, uh, some hockey camps and things like that. But yeah, I, I really got into that. That was, that was a passion of mine. Um, you know, when I became like a teenager, it was, it was everything for me. Like all I thought about and all I did.
0: That's really <laughs> so. cool. And, and funny, I grew up in New Jersey and, um, I was I was a sports guy myself. I played three sports in high school, like yourself. Right. And um, hockey was really not on my radar. I was never a big hockey guy. And I went to oh, wow. Providence right. College in Rhode Island, and we have a really really good program. We're a yeah. top twenty team. They won a national championship a couple of years ago. And I yeah. had I had some roommates or not roommates, some guys that lived on my floor. I remember at the time were from such great places as like Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan and oh, wow. uh, some okay. of these other crazy <laughs> cities in, in and around My, Canada. Yeah. yeah. And so that was it was huge there. And I remember in the off season when they were not playing, um, the guys on the team were, were supposed to Uh, get around campus they had to stay in shape you know of course d1 athletes these guys have to stay in shape so these big guys were on those rollerblades at the time so you had to be careful on campus if you if you didn't look where you were going you were going to get run over by one of these big guys on the rollerblades i'm
1: sure i'm sure yeah no it's it's a great sport i mean i i still enjoy watching it with my with my kids now but
0: uh, Yeah. yeah what what position did you play
1: I was a defender. I, I liked to. Uh, I like contacts. I mean, I, I played tackle football in you know my freshman sophomore year, and then I I really didn't see that being like uh, the sport I wanted to play. But I did like the physicality, and so with, with hockey, it was great because once I learned how to skate really well and and uh, you know use my body on the ice, I just loved it. I just like being able to to smash into people. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: you know I mean, what's amazing, awesome. and and I, I remember a lot of my. Um, talking to my high school friends that were football players back then. We didn't have lacrosse uh, at my high school when I was coming up, and that was in the mid to late 80s. Did, uh, was lacrosse something that you guys had? I mean, is that something that you would have been drawn to?
1: I would have, yes, for sure. We did not have it, but I can tell you now, just looking at my friend's kids and, and over here in Southern California, it's big here now. Yeah. I mean, I see it when I'm driving to drop my kids off for soccer. Like there's lacrosse at all the high schools. And to me, that that's perfect, right? That's a great kind of off-ice contact sport yeah. that has some similarities. I'm like, why didn't we have
0: this? <laughs> right. You mentioned banging into people. That would have been perfect for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not as, you know some of the football out here is, is insane. So I think lacrosse probably would have been more my lane. Sure. More my speed. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so,
0: so, all right. At this point now you're in your teens. And so what, what is it Mark that you're thinking, you know, college wise, maybe playing some hockey. I know that something uh, tragic is going to happen to you, but before that, what are you starting to think might be what you're going to do with your life?
1: Yeah, th- this is a tough one. Cause I, I think for me, I, I like a lot of people, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I come from a, a family of you know, creative, uh, like art and creative types, as well as engineers. So it, it, uh, my dad was a, an electrical engineer by trade. My mom was, uh, she was in advertising, but she graduated from Gonzaga with uh, you know, a degree in music. She did advertising. She was very creative. So I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was good in math, but, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. I mean, that, that's one of the things that can really mess you up, too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, no doubt.
1: So I didn't really know. I, I had uh, registered to go to CSUN, which is Cal State Northridge in the Valley. And I, I honestly, I was like, you know, I need to get in here. I need to get those general education units out of the way. Maybe I'll have this light bulb moment where I'll figure out like what I want to do. But yeah, again, from besides hockey and then just wanting to get into college, I really didn't know. And which, which, which stinks because now it's really, really hard. Right. A lot of the kids have to, they got to know, like almost when they start high school, what track they want to go. Yeah. So I, I was a little unsure, you know, I, I just knew that I wanted to go to college and I wanted to do something with my life, but um, I was just hoping that I'd have that aha moment. Yeah, you're not alone.
0: Work. And and I recall back in high school myself, my guidance counselor really did nothing for me. I mean, they, she didn't help me um, to sort of narrow down what I wanted to do. I mean, I wish like you said nowadays they they focus young people early i mean sophomore yeah. and junior in high school they start to think of you know what are your strengths and weaknesses what are your likes and then they really try yeah. to narrow down which schools offer those programs and so um yeah. you were certainly not alone not not by a long <laughs> yeah. shot not by a long right. shot so right. now let's let's talk about the day that changed the trajectory of your life what what do you remember about your accident before, during, and then in the immediate aftermath?
1: Okay. So I had my, my mom was dating an individual for a long time. i would known Ron for a while and he lived in Culver City, which was closer to like Venice Beach, Santa Monica. Yep. Um, cause we lived inland and this was more towards the beach. And so I started living at Ron's house um, my senior year. So I was commuting back and forth to the valley. And just trying to get to, to really feel and understand this, this, uh, we call it the the West side, uh, lifestyle. And -hmm. so during that summer of my senior year, I got a job working at a restaurant nearby and just, I kind of, I remember myself just being more confident, kind of like, okay, I'm graduating high school. I'm moving on to college. Um, I just felt good about myself, right? I, I wanted to be doing more. And one of the things that I did a lot more of was to go to the beach and just kind of hang out with friends and really enjoy that summer before I was going to start college.
0: Yep. Who doesn't love the beach, right?
1: Yeah, no, Uh. it was great. It was so great. And so I remember, so that day, uh, it was August 21st. I was, I was a cashier and I had finished my shift and one of the, one of the, um, servers who was, I'd become friends with, she lived over in the Pacific Palisades, which is, Pretty much where sunset and pch meet right around that area it's kind of a popular location and she said oh let's go to the beach you know it's a beautiful day you know we're done let's go and i said yeah you know let's let's go check it out and so we went over there and it's not a beach i've been to before but if you can picture a beach where there's just not a whole lot of actual beach area and the waves kind of crash right there on uh, the pacific coast highway so there's there's lifeguard stations but there aren't really lifeguards there Yep. It's not really a beach where you'd want to go surf or, or do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if something were to happen, there's not a whole lot of people like hanging out on the sand right there. It's just not one of those popular ones. Mm-hmm. And so I, she had a house like, like across the highway where we could park and then we took a bridge over. So we did that and we were just laying there on the beach and um, you know, she goes to run in the water and she's like, Hey, come on, join me. You know, And I'm, I'm just sitting there kind of doing my thing and I didn't really want to get in the water, but, I decided, okay, I'll run out. And so I see this wave that's starting to get really big. And, you know, I would surfed and bodyboarded. I, I do it, you know, I was doing it quite often. Um, so the water was, uh, you know, pretty comfortable with, with the water and the ocean that, and swimming and all that. Right. But what I didn't do, which was foolish, is that I, I didn't walk out to really see how the ocean floor was and, and the height and the, and, the, and the tide and everything. And that can change dramatically. Like you can walk out and be up to your knees and then you walk out a little farther and it's down to your ankles. And it's just based on how the ocean floor is sitting, uh, the sandbars that are out there and all that. It's and
0: so unpredictable.
1: I, yeah. So I, I didn't do that. <laughs> so I, yeah. I saw this wave forming. And it looked really big and I was like, okay. And so I ran as fast as I could and tried to do my best Baywatch where I, I threw my hands out to like, just duck right under the lip and, and pop out the back, which I've done thousands of times. Sure. And when I did that, um, I just smacked my head into something and I didn't know what it was. And it turned out to be a sandbar. Mm. It was just, there was right behind that wave was just all sand. And so I, I remember just instantly going numb and just feeling like tingly didn't know where I was. And, um, yeah, I thought I thought it was in a dream or something. It was really strange. And then it was when I started to feel like I couldn't, breathe and I had to swallow water that's when I realized I wasn't in a dream and I was in trouble and that was that was scary um I just remember like I I knew I had a friend with me so I'm like I hope she sees me (laughs) I hope hope she can come get me um but I I everything was kind of toned out I didn't know what to do and then I started to swallow the water and then things just got kind of fuzzy at that point like I started to kind of fade away Mm -hmm. um but then I remember seeing this bright, bright light. And I, I don't want to say like I was going to the other side. It was because people were lifting me up out of the water right. and I was looking at the sun. And what happened was these, these gentlemen, uh, came out of nowhere. I don't know where they were. Cause there was nobody on that beach, mm. like three or four people came and they were, and it was at that point, things just went really fast. Um, I, like a lifeguard showed up, started talking to me. Uh, I heard a helicopter. It landed on PCH and it was at this point, things just started to really steamroll because they were like poking me, asking questions and I was just really confused. I was pissed. Yeah. Pissed off.
0: (laughs) Sure. But
1: but I could kind of flop my arms around. I didn't know that that was a good thing at the time, but it turned out to be a great thing because I, at first I couldn't move anything at all. Mm uh, from the trauma, from the impact. So yes, that, that happened. And then, um, I remember being in a helicopter and looking at a a gentleman with a, you know, full like fighter pilot helmet on and, and they flew me to UCLA and I got pulled into a big emergency room with bright lights and they started cutting things off of me and, you know, putting IVs in me and measuring this and that.
0: Welcome to the new world, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was, Uh. ICU time and uh, just, yeah, I was trying to get used to that. But You know,
0: Mark, you mentioned, you mentioned August 21. My anniversary is August 19. So that's, we are almost like kindred spirits in that, uh, in that timeframe. Yeah. So what did the doctors tell you initially when they, uh, finally had a chance to, uh, you know, have a look-see at your, at your condition?
1: So I think they waited to tell me until after the surgery. Um, I know in the beginning I was in traction. So there, I guess at the time, like I could have had a halo or, uh, well, yeah, I could have had a halo, which is the screws in your forehead in order to stabilize the neck after surgery. But the only screws I had were traction in the beginning to kind of stretch my neck out to prepare it for the surgery. So I ended up having, um, what do they call that? A spinal fusion. Yes. So I had a plate, plate in the front and a plate in the back and the way it was explained to me is that, um, they would do one side and then slowly rotate me like a rotisserie chicken, uh, hmm. until they got to the other side and then to the other side of the surgery. Yeah. So, uh, it, I think it was after that. And I didn't have as much of the morphine, I guess, when they brought my parents in and we all kind of talked and sat down and said, this is what we saw. This is what's going on. And, yeah. Um, so I mean, for me, fortunately I was an incomplete injury. I had I had pinched the cord. Yes. And they were they were able to give me a steroid early on, which um, lowered some of the inflammation around the area, which I guess is what creates the paralysis. Yes, that's the cord. huge. Yeah. Yeah, so that helped. Um I mean I don't I don't know to what extent, but I can say that I do have sensation um in my lower extremities below my level of injury. Yeah. It's not hundred percent, but I do have the sensation. Um I can I can wiggle a, a kind of wiggle a finger and a big toe, but other than that it's really more for parlor tricks it, it's not functional <laughs> uh, <laughs> parlor
0: tricks yeah well we 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 take uh we don't take any wiggling for granted, right we like anything right. that'll wiggle and shake or whatever yeah that's great
1: that's right, yeah uh,
0: so mark, where yeah. did you do your rehab and how long did you stay there
1: so my rehab was at a place called Daniel Freeman Memorial Hospital in Inglewood. It's very close to the Forum, okay, sure, which is where, the, where the Lakers played way back when. And, yes, uh, that is now no longer there. But at the time, there were two predominant rehab facilities. There was Daniel Freeman, and there was Rancho Rancho Los Amigos. And Downey is still there, and it's thriving. But at the time, uh, I was living in Culver City, so going to Inglewood made a lot more sense. It was just closer, and I was, to be honest, like. Terrified yeah. of being alone, um, just because I couldn't move. Sure. I mean, I I remember in ICU like getting the breathing tube out, having to ask people to do this or that for me, and it scared me the thought of going somewhere where I didn't have family. Right. And so that that's where I did my rehab, and I was there for a solid, I would say, two and a half months before mm-hmm. they kicked me out. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> yeah, the insurance companies have a way of kicking you out, right?
1: yeah and it it's that's hard. I mean, when you go home uh that was a really scary thing for me i mean it it's weird to go back to something where you were able bodied, yeah, and you can like smell your clothes and you see your bed and i, I go, well, they changed the bed, but I mean just mm, just like right. a room, sure, it was weird like I, if I could put myself back in that spot, it was just that feeling was it was unbelievable,
0: you know you mentioned that i I work nowadays um, at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation up here in New Jersey, where I did my my rehab all those years ago, and I'm the peer counseling coordinator there. And so, I have- dealt with tons of people who we try to match them up with when they're inpatients we try to match them up with folks who have been living in the community with their disability for a number of years just you know uh, if okay. they have any questions or concerns or just you know it's one thing to talk to your doctor or your therapist or your family members but it's another thing to talk right. to someone who's you know disabled who's sort of walk in the walk and the way we are so I actually yeah. got a text from one of my old patients on Sunday she had, uh, she had just just gotten home maybe two months ago or so. And she said, Hey, you know, John, do you have a minute? And I, yeah, I said, sure. Give me a buzz. So we talked for almost 45 minutes on Sunday and exactly what you were saying. She said, you know, she's doing okay, but there's certain times where she looks around at her house and she sees her, her running shoes in the corner or her, you know, workout clothes. And she, she just can't do it anymore. Although she's come a long way. I mean, she was, she couldn't do anything so that she's made like a rock star recovery, but she's getting to the point now where she's realizing that, you know, the old me is not coming back. I mean, as far, I've come a long way, but I'm not going to be 100 like I used to be. And so I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: It is hard. It, th- there's a whole process you go through. and Some of the ones that are very gung-ho out the gate and they get to a point, it's it's like they haven't experienced that. I like to say acceptance, but there's like a, a period where you kind of have this realization like, okay, this is kind of my, my new playbook and I got to get comfortable with it. Let's just do the best we can with what we got. Right. If something gets better, awesome, but yep. let's be realistic and just kind of... Move forward, kind like of like the year. Wizard
0: of Oz. We're not in Kansas anymore, right? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <that's> oh right. <laughs> man. Oh man. Well, let's get back to your story. Okay. So now yeah. you're 18 years old, and you're a C5 incomplete quad. What is yep. the plan moving forward now? What are you thinking you're going to do with your life?
1: Oh man. Uh, it you know in the beginning, um, and I, like we were just saying, like there's these there's these different phases that I'm going through, right? The kind of like the anger. And blaming everybody. Um, just I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just know rehab was really, really tough, but it was good because it kind of grounded me. And I was able to really just drag my knees and be like, all right, I've hit bottom. Now let's let's build on this. Let's go somewhere. And so once I got home, it really was just about therapy for me. Um I had a I had an attendant that was coming to help with the fun SEI stuff like bowel and bladder. And showering, and you know, for me, I wanted to get back into school. I really wanted to go back to school because I thought that would really clear my head. I could try some new things, right? You know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do before my injury, but but I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll try a class in classical music, or I'll go do business. You know, I always want to be an entrepreneur. I'll, you know, all these things that were starting to excite me. And I said, okay, let me focus on that. And yep. how do I get there? Yep. And for me, it was okay, just baby steps, like. How can I feed myself a little bit better? How do I uh, maybe put the condom cap on myself or my leg bag? Trying to get dressed, maybe bathing myself more than the care—you know—the personal care attendant was helping. Sure, just little things. And and I think what's really important with an SCI is just you—it's about consistency, right? You want to repetitively do these things because it's even though you might not have the muscle movement. Your body finds a way. Yeah. It finds a way to figure out how to compensate and do stuff, and you can only do that if you continually test it and and do it. And so that's what I did. I just I tried to figure out the best way to do stuff, and it was transferring. It was getting into my chair, and then eventually it was it was dressing myself and getting out of my chair and out of my bed. And yeah. so little by little, I got more independent. And then the next step was going to like the Department of Rehabilitation and getting back into school. And that was, um, after a year of being home, that's what happened. I, I, I registered at a local community college, Santa Monica city college, which is great. Okay. And I got, uh, transportation through, uh, Metro access services here locally, department of rehab paid for, paid for the schooling, the books, the transportation. All I had to do was show up and, and just engage. Right. And, and so that's what I did. I, I, I had the best time. Like I met so many great people and teachers and, you know, I mean, Southern California, going to college in Southern California, it's like, yeah, you know, there's nothing. There. you can't complain about it.
0: I was going <laughs> to so, say, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a Jersey guy and I used to watch Baywatch and all of that stuff. And yeah, l <laughs> a LA law and i'm I'm watching all these all the beautiful people out in California, yeah. and so uh so that worked out great for you, so then you wound up getting a degree in accounting and you start a career in accounting. and you know how did that go sort of the the, the first uh foray into that? I mean, were you working in an office building there you are wheeling your wheelchair at, at, into a job? How did that go initially?
1: Yeah. So just, just to kind of paint that when I was at the JC, I applied to the university of Southern California and I ended up getting a disabled athlete scholarship. So it was like a full ride to my favorite school growing up. I'm a Trojan been one my whole life. And so I got to go there. I also got a van paid for by the department of rehab. So all this was just showing up, giving my grades, working hard, like these, these resources were there and I just had to go and kind of, you know, participate. And I I always tell people just show up and participate. Like you'd be amazed what opportunities are out there. And so this happened fast forward to I'm in the accounting school. I chose accounting because it was safe. I was really concerned about my disability getting in the way of me being successful at having a career. I wanted to be an architect and I did one class and I couldn't do it. I couldn't reach the board. I couldn't draw the plans. I was very frustrated, so um, I, I, I tried to choose something that I thought would be comfortable, and so that's what happened. I when I went to USC, I got an accounting degree. I stayed and got a master's in taxation, and then I had I interviewed and I had job offers from four different um, professional services firms in downtown LA, which was literally down the street from college.
0: Wow, you're so a hot commodity I, all of a sudden.
1: Well, it was. It's a <laughs> no. It's a. That degree was just in high demand. Uh, it definitely was, and so it was. I was fortunate to have that, and my disability wasn't really going to get in the way. Yep. The nice thing was is that a reasonable accommodation was something that companies knew about. So the ADA was put into law in what nineteen ninety. Yes. I believe. And yeah. So I got injured in ninety five. I was applying for jobs in twenty one. Yep. Two thousand. Am I saying that right? No. Oh, twenty one? Yep. Two thousand one. Uh, <laughs> So it, it uh, the companies knew about it, and so it didn't take much. I could sit in a cube. Uh, I had parking where the ADA spots were near the elevator. Like, I was able to do it on my own. I was able to roll my wheelchair, get up into the building, and, and do my job. That's awesome. And I, yeah, it worked out really good. I mean, I, I probably worked a lot longer than I want to. Accounting is, is uh, a grind. Yeah. But I got my CPA license, and I, I worked – for three different, you know, Fortune five hundred companies for about seventeen years before uh before leaving that to, to join my wife. Yeah. In her practice. And
0: yeah. you you mentioned your wife. Let's let's you're leading into my next question. I know as proud um of yourself as you are for putting yourself through school and and finding a career in accounting and working all those years in that, I know you're you're just as proud probably if not more uh, of being not only a husband, but a father of, of two young boys. And why don't you tell me a little bit about your situation with your wife and also your two sons being a, a father, um, a disabled father, you know, someone in a wheelchair. Um, yeah. it's not the easiest thing in the world, but you've obviously, um, mastered that. And I know it's something that, um, you again are very proud of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's So I I met Patricia at, at USC. I met her in school. So it was after my injury and we just became really, uh, you know, good friends and hit it off and and had very similar goals. So we wanted to, to get married and we waited quite a, quite a while before we we got married, but we'd known each other for at least 10 years before we, we got engaged. But yeah, so we got married, um, we, we had plans to have children and that was a concern for me uh with SEI Yeah, that was a concern for her family as well they they really wanted grandkids and yeah so we were very fortunate we were able to have um Ben and Andrew who are now uh seven and ten naturally and they're healthy and that was just awesome um but it's also you know it, it's a lot of work and something that I wasn't really prepared for I think yeah. mentally actually at the time um you know, it, it's what I try to tell people that want to have families that, you know, someone has a disability or uh, is that you, you kind of have to reshift your focus. So, you know, it's one thing to get comfortable with your disability uh, for yourself, right? You've gotten to a place where you're independent, you're able to delegate, you, f- you feel okay with your circumstances. And that's a big accomplishment on its own. Right. But when you have children, you have to shift your focus to them. There's nothing, you know. You're having a tough day. You, they still have to get dressed. They still have to be fed, clean, um, and, and they have their own agenda. Yep. Um, even now, when they're older, they still have that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> right. But that that was hard for me to really adjust to. And also, just I, I tell people this is that, um, you know, there's things that I couldn't do with them physically, and uh, I had to let other family members or friends do that. Yeah. And that sometimes was really uh, hard hard for me um emotionally like I I struggled with that watching someone else do something with my child that I couldn't right and um yeah but it, but all in all like I've i love loved being a dad and it's as hard as it is it's so rewarding you know disabled or able-bodied I mean I, it's it's very rewarding and I I love just being involved in their life like to me that's kind of where I'm at in in my life is I'm trying to stay healthy, live as long as I can. Yep. Um, you know, be a good husband, but also just be there and be present for my for my boys because I come from divorced parents. I didn't get to see my dad a whole lot. Um, my mom was constantly working as a single parent. Like now, you know, Patricia and I, we have our own accounting practice. Yes. We can go to the award ceremonies after lunch at school. We can, you know, go to all of their soccer games. Take them to dinner if we want. Like yeah. those are things that I cherish and I love. And but it took a lot of planning to get there. It didn't just happen. And sure. It, it kind of you know with the disability and career, it kind of all smashed together and really had to think about it and uh, try to try to make the best of it. But yeah, it's it's been incredible. You know, um, even though it's been difficult. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, you're you're not only it sounds like you're not only their father, but you're also a role model. You know, which most dads are, but you're almost a. a dual role model because you are someone who is disabled and you're showing your boys that, you know, even though you are in a wheelchair and and there's a lot of things that you can't do, there's still so much that you can do and they see that. And um, that has to be really fulfilling.
1: Yeah. No, I, and I want them to, I mean, we're in a perfect time right now, especially with access to social media to normalize disability. And I've I, I, tried, you know, that's all they know. That's all they've seen their whole life. And I, I try to, you know, bring that to their forefront when they're out and about. Like, be, be respectful if someone needs help or, or if you see something that's not right, like speak up, um, you know, especially like with parking. You know, we, we deal with this all the time. And I, I try to get my boys to understand, like, the shopping carts don't belong. Yeah, <laughs> so,
0: right, sure. And,
1: and if someone needs help or or you know if someone has a badge on and has their name call them by their name say hello you know try to make eye contact just just yeah. different things i i just want them to be good human beings yeah. if if they can be uh, contribute to society anyway. that so I want them to just be good humans, and if they do that, then I'll feel like I've succeeded as a parent. You know? Oh, absolutely. Me, that's the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, so. I can remember talking to uh, a gentleman that was an inpatient with me, and he had gotten married, and he and his wife uh, were were thinking about having children, and he mm-hmm. grabbed me off to the side, and he said, "You know, <laughs> tell you the truth, one of my bigger concerns is, and this is only something that we." folks who have the disability uh, can relate to as he said I, I, I don't know whether I will be able to help my wife with a lot of the chores he said and, and yeah along the lines of you know changing diapers he said first of all I, I'm gonna have to have my own diaper changed and then I'm gonna change my <laughs> child's diaper kind of thing. yeah that's right. 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 So uh, (laughs) it's only gallows humor that we can talk about things like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so that is, um, that is amazing. And, and I'm so happy that it happened for you and you're, you're thriving with your, with your marriage and with your boys and they're, they're seeing a great example of, of how, you know, people deal with folks who are disabled, you know. When I was a kid, I wasn't around people that were disabled. I didn't really see them until I myself was and I was in the rehab facility. So yeah, that you know yeah, your sure. boys are around it at such a young age they'll be able to, you know, to how to react around people and have compassion and and um, you know, it's we need young people these days that that have that and have seen that and it sounds like your boys are uh are right there with it.
1: Yeah, they're they're uh, they're definitely coming around to it. I mean, that and just I, I guess I forgot to mention this other thing is just just looking at accessibility from a different lens. Like, I want, I would love if anything to try and make this world more accessible and normalize disability in it because I I feel like like you just said even now there's still barriers whether it's transportation or finances. Yeah. I don't see a whole lot of individuals in wheelchairs out and about, and that that's frustrating to me. But I. I think we're all guilty of that from all the things of convenience that technology has brought us. Right. I and mean, yes. there's no reason to, to leave the home anymore. You can pretty much have everything you want right? at your house. But it's true. I, I try to get every, my boys and, and we try to go out and eat and I love the social experience. I, I feel like that should never change. Like mm-hmm. as human beings, we need to be able to talk, interact, smile, cry, laugh, whatever with each other. And that's how, you know, I, I want them to, to have that as part of their life, yes. that, to be a component of it. Yes. So.
0: And now, Mark, um, uh, I'm drawn to the the old saying that necessity is the mother of all invention, which leads oh, me to my next yeah. question. Yeah. It, tell us about the company that you founded, Abilities. Um, how did the idea come about and how did you kind of get it off the ground in the yeah. early stages?
1: Okay. No, that's a great, uh, great question. So... Ability is the name. This was something that, um, gosh, back in 2013, I want to say my wife and I were in our condo and we were just, I was telling her, I'm like, I really just want to start a business. I want to do something. Like I have all these ideas. I've been injured for, uh, that was at the time, what would that be? Um, like 18 years. I, I just want to make stuff that makes my life easier. And so I, we're trying to think of a name and everything had been taken and I just didn't know what to do. And then finally this name kind of came to me and I thought, you know, it's kind of catchy ease of ability. Let's just run with it. So I, I registered the name, I created a, a corporation and I, I started designing. And, and back then um, it was really expensive to, to try and hire somebody to understand like what was in my head. Yeah. And so I, I had one idea. I hired a, an engineer, a CAD designer and I remember spending like two, three thousand dollars, and nothing really happened. So I got really frustrated by that, and I said, "Okay, I'm just going to create a YouTube channel. I'm just going to show people how I transfer, how I put on my clothes, um, you know, just different things, life hacks." As a quad, I'm just going to do that for now, and then I'll shelf the, you know, this whole design idea until I'm ready to do it. Okay. So you fast forward to uh, COVID and quarantine time. And one of our family friends, who's a a manufacturing engineer, he saw that there were a couple of 3D printers on Black Friday sale. He says, hey, man, you want to buy one? I'm going to get one. I think it'd be good for your kids. And I said, yeah, you know, pick me up one. And I I paid him back. I think it was like $150, or something like that. Yeah. And we started making stuff. We, We started printing out, you know, animals and trees. And we were using them for school project, dioramas, things like that. And it just became a fun thing to do. Then COVID hits and uh, there's this whole maker movement where people are making face shield components from frontline workers because they couldn't get their protective equipment. And so we were making, I think we made 500 of these plastic visors and the, the team was fitting them with the 3M shield. Like we were passing them out to hospitals. Okay. I saw pictures of people wearing stuff that I made. Wow. That was like, yeah that was whoa
0: yeah, I mean, yeah that must so, have blown your mind
1: oh it, it did it it was so powerful and the boys were doing it with me and they saw it and i was like look these are people that need help and we were able to help them with just this little thing here this little piece of technology isn't that cool and then, then the light bulb went off and it was oh well why don't i learn cad and make my own tools And then I'll share them with the world and see if anybody else needs these tools. And so it's, it started with very simple things. I started watching YouTube videos and going, Oh, I want to make this with a circle and you know, a handle. How do I do that? I watched a video of something similar, put it on one screen, open up my CAD software in the next and just slowly started to learn it to the point where I could, you know, pretty much do anything in, in the software and draw it. So that's when I got got onto social media and I I made a couple of items and I put them on there and the responses were were overwhelming. Mm. Uh, The the emails, the direct messages, the the comments. I just knew that there was a whole market out there of underserved people that need these products. And, And it just became more evident to me through interacting with people. And so we started with a few and then it's just been like, continual I, I try to come up with something every month um and, and then it was just how do I improve my manufacturing how do I get you know better printers better materials and then it just became like a business a real business and we launched the the website in August on my anniversary uh this past year in 22 and then went to the Phoenix uh, Abilities Expo for the first time and it's just been an incredible response and it's just been growing like crazy since so that's now awesome. I'm trying to think about what I'm going to do next. Yeah,
0: God, that's <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Mark, tell us yeah. about um, how many products are um, do you have, and uh, tell yeah. us about the website where my listeners can can oh, find here. your stuff, and then also how much of this stuff was born out of your needs and frustrations in the situations that you were living through.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So we currently have, I believe, fourteen products on our website um and and the website is abilitiesadaptive.com so it's a-b-i-l-i-t-e-a-s-e and then adaptive a-d-a-p-t-i-b-e-l hope I I spelled that right yeah a-p-t.com and you can get everything through abilities.com that's my primary website I did this so fast I'm going to be consolidating everything (laughs) so it's really just Mm abilities.com and everything is accessible there But uh yeah, it, so I launched the Shopify site in August, and yeah, I mean all of these products are basically out of necessity. I mean it started with like a cap on a urinal so that I could hold my catheter in the urinal while I was you know emptying my bladder so it wouldn't splash all over myself. Sure, and then it was you know drink holders. Um, I have clothing grabbers to help me dress. I have stuff for just random, like opening door locks, pulling drawers. I mean, I've only got fourteen out, but I would say in total, I probably have about thirty to thirty-five different products. It's just because they're 3D printed, it's kind of hard to manufacture everything. And plus I just don't know if the demand's there. Yeah. And and I want it to be universal. Like I some of the stuff is very custom for me based on whether it's my body or the phone I'm using or the way I hold something. So it's, um, that's the other hurdle. There's different things about manufacturing their hurdles, but right now we have 14 and I'm going to, I'm going to be putting out another two here that are manufactured in the next like month. Plus I have a very exciting product, uh, for catheterization that I'm going to come out with. In May, and that's the first time I've mentioned that. So,
0: awesome! We're breaking news really, here on the Quadcast.
1: Yeah, yeah this is uh, this is a really cool product. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm going to file a patent on it, and um, I'm already having my manufacturer produce about 100 units just so, like, when I launch, at least there's something there. But um, yeah, it, it's it's so cool. Like, I can't I can't tell you. Uh, there's times when I can't sleep because I'm just so excited to go and design. That's great. Um, the, yeah, the, it, it's been a it's been just a a huge positive. Um, I, like I can't even think of the word right now, but it's it's my calling. Like I get so much benefit from doing this and knowing that I can help people. That's it. It's wonderful. It's it's incredible. Uh, an incredible feeling.
0: You're paying it forward, Mark.
1: I, I I'm trying. Yeah. I mean, I I just know that when I first got disabled, I didn't want anything to do with the disabled community. Like I yeah. I wanted to feel like quote unquote normal. And I didn't want to be around it. Yep. And it. It's crazy how I kind of come back and I'm drawn to it. Like I, I want to be part of it. I want to just immerse myself in helping others because I just know it's hard. Yeah. And it's just not, uh, if you don't have the support system there, it, it, it's really hard to be successful at managing this, this disabilities. It's very hard.
0: It is, and coming up with things, you're you're now like the the Thomas Edison of uh, the disabled community products. Now I'm telling you, what you come up with is great. How, how long does it take the process of idea in Mark's head and then on the shelves and people being able to uh, to purchase it from your website?
1: You know, it's not it's it's not as long as you think. Uh, I'm trying to think here. Give you a good example. Um, I mean, I would say at most a couple months, depending on what it is. I mean, I'm I'm trying to create aesthetically pleasing, straightforward, and, and not uh, not expensive. So a lot of ADLs uh, activities of daily living. Try to make it as simple as possible. Yeah. but still something that that a person will want to use. Okay. I don't I don't want them going out into the world and feeling like they have you know a medical device or uh, you know something where they don't feel proud of it. So I'm trying to use colors, rounded corners, just shapes that look fun. But um, But don't scream
0: crippled and disabled. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I know what you mean. It's it's hard. And, and, you know, for me being injured at a younger age, it's a little bit easier because I've been disabled for so long. Mm. But I think about like the men and women that get injured later on in life, that already have families, that have this routine that's just been abruptly stopped. Yeah. And that's got to be really hard. Sure. That acceptance curve is is a lot harder. So I, I'm trying to put stuff out there that that people will be proud to have, and we're getting there yes. But but I would say a couple months. You know, if, if I see something, what's cool about the 3D printing is I can I can draw and print something out pretty quick to be like, oh, okay, if I want to grab this, uh, you know, what, how big of diameter do I need? I can measure it and then come within a few millimeters and go. Oh, I just need to tweak this or yep. do that, and then I have something that kind of works. And then I play with it and go. Oh, no, it needs this. It needs that. This will make it better with the you know a, a limp wrist, or if I can't do the wrist flexion, mm-hmm. it just kind of starts to kind of evolve. And then I'll have something, and then I'll post about it. Yep. And then hopefully, I've already talked to my manufacturer and said, "Okay, how long? How how quickly can you turn this around?" Yeah, yeah.
0: sure. So, so um, Mark, are yeah. your are your accounting days behind you? Is that uh, what you're telling us?
1: It's you know, it, it's coming. It's coming to that. Um, my wife has been very patient with me because you know that's still our bread and butter. Like that pays for the bills, right? Um, so, I'm I'm slowly transitioning until I can scale abilities. I mean, I I need to have a couple of these products in injection molding to be able to to scale the production of it if I were to ever get some you know contracts or bigger orders uh, for, for products but it's going in that direction uh, I just don't know if it's going to be the next year yep. or 5 years but all I know is that this is this is not going to stop like I'm just going to keep producing and reaching out to the community and my hope is that I will be able to grow this, grow a team of like-minded individuals and just put out good products that help people live a better life like that. If I can do that, then I will have succeeded in, in what I want to do with this life, aside from just having my family and, and and helping raise them.
0: And how admirable is that? I mean, that's that's amazing. And then if it gets to that point that you would be able to make your living doing it is, I would think, the cherry on top.
1: Oh, for, for sure. No, if if it becomes a, a viable like you know company with, with financial results that supports my family and into the future, I mean, I I couldn't. Have, I mean, I already have visions of what I want my the manufacturing facility and my creative space to look like, but that that's still a few years <laughs> away. But <laughs> I, you're, if you don't dream it, I don't think it's possible, right? You have to see it. And
0: Absolutely,
1: I, I see it every day. Like I believe in this so much. That I I don't see where I'm going to fail. I, I mean I I know I'm going to fail, but I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. And so I well, it, it's we, exciting for me. So.
0: We need you, Mark. The community needs you because ah, you're ah. you're coming up with ideas that we can't come up with on our own. That that if it makes our life just a little bit easier and makes right. doing menial tasks that much quicker for us and and you know able to help us out, then. That it, there's nothing better than that because it's it's um it's something that we need. We can't do it on our own.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, I I know it makes my life better, so I'm I'm hoping that uh, there's people out there that would w- would feel the same way.
0: It, mm-hmm. it's, I've I was definitely gonna
1: been getting that feedback. So
0: yeah. And I was going to ask you, what is next? What's the next big thing for abilities? But you said that you have something coming up on the horizon and I don't want you to, to, to tell yeah. anymore if you, if you can't, but we're going to have to, my yeah. listeners are going to have to check back on your website for some exciting news um, down the road. Yeah. It sounds like uh, this could be a really great thing.
1: Yeah, no, that product is going to be good. I'm, I'm also going to be working on some ostomy products as well. There could be, there could be some uh, some company collaborations coming out, and we're going to be going to the Rolettes Experience here locally in LA. Uh, that's with Chelsea Hill. That's going to be in July. We're going to go and exhibit over there. We're really excited about that. Mm-hmm. That is um, what, what she's doing um, with her event is, is incredible, and it's a great place to really just uh, network with a lot of um, you know people from the disabled community. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, there's just a lot. to – a lot of things happening. I, I just try to look at the day in front of me, but it, there's there's a lot in 23, but it, it, it looks like it's going to be a good year and we're just going to build on
0: it. That's terrific. And Mark, the last one for me, and and I always end up my shows with this one last question, and that sure. is if, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely sure. able-bodied once again, what is the first thing that you would do?
1: I would probably... Uh, i probably hug my wife and my kids. I mean, I, that's something I really, I really miss, uh, being able to stand up and, and hug somebody that way, pick them up and hug them. You know, that, that I, I, I feel like when people try to hug me, they they don't, they feel like they're going to break me. Maybe it's just the chair being in the way, but I don't know, just, I'm a a hugger and I, I love that embrace. And I love that from my family and, give them that and just feel like the strong able-bodied person to be able to do it. But other than that, I, I, uh, I might, I might want to lace up the, the, the skates and get out on ice.
0: I was just <laughs> going to say, you <laughs> want to get the boys out on the ice. Yeah. yeah. Get them in the oh, corners and rough them up a little bit.
1: There we go. Yeah. Just rub them out. Maybe give them a little
0: shoulder into the board. <laughs> oh That's so great. That's, you know, the hugging and the reaching out for uh, family members is, is a common answer that I get. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, I kind of had a feeling that you were going to head in that direction. And so, um, uh, well, Mark Fugel, I, I want to thank you again, not only for all that you do for the community and for your family and for, for those of us who are in the disabled uh, community, as I mentioned, but for joining me today on the quadcast, it has been a pleasure getting to know you before we went on the air and, and speaking with you now and to bring your, your inspirational story to my listeners. So thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, Thank you. It's been wonderful. I I appreciate your time and um, I look forward to listening to future episodes and I will, I will go and find some other individuals I think would be good for, for this show because I think it's great. And this is, It is like therapy. I mean, to me, this is what we need to do. We need to fill our days with stories and and motivate ourselves to just move forward and, and be the best possible person we can.
0: Well, I can't think of a better way to end a show than with those wonderful sentiments. Thanks again, Mark Fugelvan, for your time and for all you do through abilities on behalf of the disabled community. Once again, you can find Mark's adaptive tools on his website which is abilitiesadaptive.com. That is A-B-I-L-I-T-E-A-S-E adaptive.com. On May 9, I will be recording my next show, and this one I've been looking forward to for some time. I will be speaking with Dan Rose, a veteran who was injured by an improvised explosive device in southern Afghanistan in 2011. This will be my first opportunity to share the story of a serviceman injured in defense of the country and a great opportunity to thank him for his service. This is a conversation you will not want to miss. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Chris Parapesco, who has been with me since day one mixing my shows out of the kindness of his heart. He works at Harbor Picture Company in New York City, And when he has a free minute, he skillfully pieces my shows together. Quite frankly, this venture goes nowhere without Chris. Thank you. And on behalf of all of the good folks here at the Quadcast, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time.